Hey there and welcome back to The Real Estate Renovators, the show designed to help real estate agents navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. My name's Jason Cunningham and welcome back, I'm pretty pumped. Now before I introduce my fellow co-hosts, I wanna remind you guys that we've got a couple of rules here on RER. The first is that we like to have a little bit of fun. We don't take ourselves too seriously and we like to enjoy the company we keep. We're not really sure why Rex is here because that sort of goes against that rule. I'm a jagging big boy. Uh, we like to have a bit of fun and every now and then, one of us on the panel um, uses the odd bit of French. And so I apologize in advance for those of you who don't speak French or don't like French, but every now and then I say fuck. Sorry about that. So let me introduce my fellow co-host to my right, Australia's number one lawyer, the Legal Eagle, also known as the T-Rex, Rex Afrasiabi. How are you, Rexy? I'm fabulous, mate. Good to you? see you. Yeah, I'm going really well. Uh, to my left is this country's number one recruiter, my favourite and your favourite, also known as Kmart, Chanel Macasey. Hey, Chanel. Hey, Jace. How's Titanium going? It's going strong. What about the recruitment I'd business? i bulletproof on that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bang, right early. And who could forget our favourite Pete, Pistol Pete, Eagle in the Sky, Peter Quiller. How are you, handsome? I'm really good. Hi, team. Hey, hey Pete. Good to see you, Pete. One day we might actually meet you in person because we're not really <laughs> sure if he's a real fucking guy or just sort of like a monogram sort of thing. And our today's guest, today's guest, we're pretty pumped. We're, we're having a look at the real estate lens through a different view, if you like, Rex, a, a different paradigm. And his name is Brooksy, a.k.a. Warwick Brooks. G'day, Warwick. How are you, pal? Good, mate. How are you? Welcome aboard, young man. Thank you. Now, Warwick's been in the industry quite a long time, doesn't look it, to be honest, a bit of a baby face, but he's been around the traps <laughs> a few times, um, been in rehab for three years, and when he came out, I'm only joking, Warwick, remember I said we'd like to have a bit of fun? Now, Warwick is one of this country's finest buyer's advocates, uh, but he didn't start off in buyer's advocacy, he took the typical route uh, in real estate, and something um, pricked his ears. Tell us about the journey, Warwick. Yeah, well, I started off selling real estate, and um, that was an interesting, an interesting journey for me. I worked for a company who, which I won't name, but ethics-wise, um, a little bit questionable. But Hang on a minute, are you you're saying that there's a real estate agent out there <laughs> yeah, that has a <laughs> bit chunky practice? Are you sure about that? Uh, let me a small percentage. <laughs> okay, right, that's good. Uh, but yeah, essentially, uh, I mean, my job was to sell small apartments to downsizers who were coming from bigger houses that we're never going to fit their belongings into these apartments. And then eventually, 12 months later, they would have to sell them because they knew they couldn't live there. Uh, so you get another sales fee. Um, yep. So, okay. and I really, I really, doing this, doing that, I really kind of learnt that with um, these buyers, they needed help. So I decided to start a buyer agency. Right. And how long ago was that? I started in 2000, so 21 years. Because... Oh. <laughs> I've got to say that there was, probably wasn't a heap of buyers advocates around 21 years ago. No, it's about five of us, five different companies at the time. Yeah. So it was a relatively small industry. And back then, the name buyer advocate, people go, what's that? Mm. But Can I go back? What is a buyer advocate? Can you let me know what exactly is a I know what a buyer's advocate is, but... So why are you asking like, the question is, why are you asking the question if you knew? <laughs> the question no. asking is, uh, because a lot of people don't realise the services even out there. A yeah. lot of real estate agents don't have them. I'm actually recruiting a buyer's agent at the moment or buyer's advocate and people are calling me saying, I don't know, no, like what, what does that mean? So mm -hmm. people in real estate don't even know what a buyer's advocate mm. is. Jason. So Rex asked a good question. Jason, <laughs> I only ask good questions. Yeah. <laughs> Let's all pick on Jason. <laughs> So 
essentially a, a buyer's advocate is there to represent the, the buyer completely. So it's to give you impartial advice on the, when they go through a property. So look, you're going to buy a property through a selling agent. Every single property that selling agent lists is the best property in the world <laughs> and they want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not going to tell you about all the little bits and pieces that don't go well with it and how they painted over the gutters that were rusty prior and all these little things. So what a buyer's agent does essentially, we go through the properties, we give our own opinion on them. Uh, we also give our own opinion on value. So the big the big part about what we do is is the value of property. So an agent, and especially if you're in, in a Melbourne, um, pre-COVID, um, you look at a property, an agent's quoting 800 to 880. We go through it to, with a client and all the clients say, oh, I really love this property. And I go through it, I said, well, Yep, they're quoting 800-880, but it's going to sell for a million and fifty dollars. So it's about understanding the value basis because agents typically, well, a small percentage of agents underquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so and a lot of people go to these auctions thinking that they're in the money, and then they just get blown out of the water mm. and they get disillusioned. Whereas we would go every auction I go to, I'm typically either the underbidder or the person who gets the property. So we're really bang on with the value, and that's where we provide a lot of value. Can I ask? You go. Ladies first. (laughs) Can I ask? So, with a lot of real estate agencies, they are in a particular suburb, so they specialise in Hawthorne or in South Yarra. Being a buyer's advocate, you specialise all across Melbourne or Victoria. How can you? How do you specialise across an entire state or region rather than a particular suburb? How do you learn that? knowledge of how to be an excellent buyer's advocate across the state? Uh, well, that's a very good question. And with buyer advocacy, it takes a long time to learn that. Mm. So you can start off in a suburb and I've got employees or I've got team members who they know one little area exceptionally well. But if you want to kind of be able to give that complete knowledge base or uh, it does take a long time to learn that. Learn that. Mm. So from that perspective, I mean, I can do the whole Victoria. So I've been doing this for over How did you learn to do that? How did you how did you branch from one suburb into the entire Well, it's state? over 21 years getting a lot of clients yeah. who want to buy in different areas and then researching those areas. And it's just looking at each area is um, individual. And within each suburb, it's broken down into little mini markets. Mm. So you can go to Hawthorne, let's say. So you've got three to $6 million houses in Hawthorne. You've got one to $1.5 million houses in Hawthorne. You've got $600,000 apartments in Hawthorne. All of these markets, they run at different rates. So one might be hot at the moment. So you might be going, the $3 million houses are just going gangbusters, but the apartments nobody's touching. So it's about kind of understanding all the micro markets within a market. Mm. And with that, looking at kind of Okay, what's that client looking to do? And this is where the big the, the knowledge base really comes from what we do. It's being un- able to understand. And so what I do with my guys is I kind of go, okay, learn it and, and go out. Mm. Grow yourself. Yeah, okay. Um, people who try to do the whole lot to start with, it's just too easy to make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you act for mainly, sorry, there you go. Um, do you act mainly for, well, what's the percentage of people that are looking to engage you to buy and live in a home? versus those that want it as an investment property? So we do probably 60% buying and living in a home yeah. and probably 40% investors. Right, okay. With the investors, yeah. when you're looking at investment acquisition, do you look at it from a return point of view or do you look at a future growth point of view? Is it a current or future or both? Or So what we explain to people is that a lot of people come and say, I want to get good return on my investment. And what I kind of explain to people is 
there's two things in real estate. There's there's yield of return, mm. and then there's growth. Mm. You can't have both. You got to choose which one you want. So why not? Because the thing with uh, the yield is, let's say I want both. Yeah, <laughs> they all want both. There, there we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> so if you buy you a growth, if you buy a high growth property, yeah. The way that that kind of works is, is that property grows faster in value than what rental values can go up. So the rental market runs differently. To can you the, say that again, please? Sorry. So if you look at the bar, uh, the, the value of the, the market when yeah. you're selling or buying real estate, uh-huh. those price increases don't correlate to the rental market rents going up. Those two, they're two different markets. So if you're buying a property that's got um, high growth, so let's say you're growing at 6%, Yield per annum on a is that based on suburb or location or particular house or it's particular how do you property. Look at that? It's a particular property. But how, what's your Rex? I was very engrossed in the answer and you killed me. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I did. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I'll, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll yeah, rewind we'll back and back, go, yeah, go yeah. back. So essentially, sorry, bro. <laughs> I know it's your so let's say let's say you're buying a you, you got your six hundred thousand million dollar house yeah. and it's rented out for five hundred dollars a week. Yeah. So the way it works is, is your rent's here, your house is here. Yeah. So this is going to rise a high. It's got, your house is going to grow in value at a higher value at a higher rate to what the rent is going to go up. So your rent's yeah. not going to go Why up. Why is that? Well, your rent doesn't go up by six percent per year. Yeah. So rents typically in Melbourne kind of they don't they don't they go up a lot slower. Which should explain why rental yields at the moment are two and a half, three percent. Yeah, because back property, in the old days it was six and a yeah, half. Yeah. So the value of the properties have gone look up. It's so you. Much. Well done, big boy. That's good. <laughs> So that's why I say, look, if you buy a really good growth yield property, your rents are not going to look awesome from a, from a yield perspective, but you're going to be making your money on the other side from the growth. So, and if you want to get a property that is going to have a great yield for rent, that means your property's not growing in value mm. because the rents kind of outpace the growth of the property. Yeah. So, if you so want what to, would you go for? Would you go for growth or yield? I typically, and our clients typically go for growth. Uh-huh. So the problem is if you're buying for yield, if you're going to buy a property that the rents outpace the um, the value of the property, you're buying a shit property. Yeah. So well, you're, it, you're, it buying, you're it, buying that stuff behind us in those buildings. That, <laughs> yeah, where, where Rex lives. So you're saying where Rex lives yeah. is a shit suburb. I'm not talking, the penthouse yeah. is, 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 is okay. Uh, uh, yeah. But if it, the one bedroom's down underneath, yeah. yeah okay, not. so it's, can I ask another question? Just, now this is with my accounting um, CPA hat on and that sort of stuff. So if you could afford it, would it make sense to have some growth property as well as some yield property? Well, that's, yeah, we do have clients that want to do that. Yeah. Um, and then it's about buying a property from a from a yield one. So typically, some of the yield ones might be more regional based. Yeah. So where we kind of look at that is our regional properties also have their own risk factor. Yeah. So from a regional perspective, if you want a, one in a regional, the, the kind of properties we look at are more kind of blocks of units in regional mm-hmm. areas. Yeah. So you're breaking up your risk factor. So you're not yeah. going to have it vacant forever. Yeah. You might have one vacant for a little while, yeah. but you, you've kind of so that's where you can kind of get those six to eight percent yield. Properties, yeah. But in the Melbourne, if you want to buy a good quality property in Melbourne, you're two to three percent. Yeah. Now, Brooksy, I've sort of railroaded this conversation into my own investment portfolio, which is probably inappropriate. Yeah. We, we, one of the things that Pete and I talk about when we have conversation, we've got a lot of mutual clients that we share, is around the growth strategy of the business. Now, Pete, I know you're intrigued with how uh, uh, Warwick markets his business. Yeah. Thanks, Jace. Um, Warwick, when looking at you from a customer's point of view, you offer a wide range of services and and quite uniquely, you actually represent sellers as well and PM. I just wanted to know, you know, that's quite unusual in terms of a offering. How, How did you come to that and, you know, how does it work? 
Yeah, well, initially we started just as a buyer's agency, um, but then I'd buy a property. I'd buy a property for a client. Then they needed to sell a property, so they'd go to a local agent, and then I'd be getting calls saying, "This guy's really crap. He's trying to bring my price down. He's just wasn't working." Yeah. So from that perspective, I went, "Okay, well." why don't I just look after everything for them? So I can buy the property for you. I don't sell real estate, but mm. I will put you, I will engage a real estate agent and that agent will sell the property for you. But the agent, when an agent sells a property for one of my clients, the agent never gets to talk to my client. Oh. Everything is done through me. So vendor advocacy. Vendor advocacy, yeah. yeah. So they never even, even in an auction, they don't get to talk to my client. They don't get to talk to the vendor. Every communication is through me and every decision is through me. And Warwick, is there any pros and cons in doing both sides? Like, is there any challenges? Obviously, there's, there's the positives you spoke about. What are the challenges in dealing with agents directly? The challenges is, well, the challenge is finding agents that are good to deal with um, and finding agents that don't sell you the normal real estate agent um, spiel, I suppose. I mean, they're all taught, they're all taught to, and I deal with so many real estate agents, they're all taught to be scripted in a certain way. There's probably about five different guys that script out stuff, the main trainers out there. And mm. you know which trainer they've gone with with how they talk to you. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, it's I, the, the, the difficulty is finding real estate agents who are going to be real with you. Do they treat you differently though? Because you're a buyer's, you're a vendor's agent, I suppose, you're a vendor's advocate. So mm. when you engage someone on behalf of a client, mm. I'm assuming the vent, the agent, the selling agent, is going to treat you differently to how he would treat a vendor. Definitely. Oh, look, look, there's a lot more straight talking. And from my perspective, I mean, I do a lot of these of the vendor advocacy. And to some of the bigger brands out there in Melbourne, I'm their biggest client. You know what? That makes a lot of you know. Mm. You said something that's actually made sense. A lot more straight talking. Mm. And. Um, Let's, let's not discredit the industry that we love, which is real estate. And I, firstly, I want to make one disclaimer. There's nothing wrong with a real estate agent trying to get the best price for his client. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And in actual fact, all of us that engage an agent to sell our property, we want to get the fucking best price we can. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I did, because I was intrigued when you said the agent's not allowed to speak to my client. I was intrigued with that comment. I thought, why not? And then I heard you say, but when I do engage with the agent, there's a lot of straight talking. And it reminds me, Rex, of when, why you engage a lawyer to have, you know, when, you, when, when you're having conversations on behalf because you filter down some shit that I don't want to hear. Mm. You, you know what I mean? When, I'm do, when we do the commercial, the lit stuff and all that sort of stuff and you would represent our firm and you filter what the customer needs to hear because, you know, you write letters to lawyers all the time and, I, and I'm wondering, is, is it very similar to that? It is. Like, I get to know my client, so it's more personal. So it's not a, it's not a business transaction because I'm buying a home for them, I'm helping them yeah. sell one. It's a lot more... It's a lot more personal. So where an agent might come in and he talks to them, especially, I mean, obviously, once they list a property, a lot of their goal is to um, get the price to where they want to get it to. And a lot of vendors and don't understand that that's just the process that they go through. Yeah. And they feel like they're getting badgered and pressured. Yeah. Whereas with me, I, the real estate agent talks to me and I communicate that information in a way that they're going to be comfortable and happy with. Yeah, I, yeah. I give the same communication, but I do it in a way that they, they don't feel like yeah. they're being pressured. Yeah. Can I ask, Warwick, <laughs> something that um, you and I were discussing off camera was sort of your frustration with the real estate industry or particularly in particular real estate sales agents. Where does that frustration come from? What do you, what do you think that they're doing wrong? Is it they're not 
giving you factual information, they're not trained properly? Where, what are the issues that you're finding with agents that you're working with? I find that a lot of agents are not trained properly mm. in negotiation. Um, and a lot of agents are there for a dollar. Mm. So from my experience in real estate is that real estate's about money and there's lots of money in it. Mm. And when you go to a real estate agency, if you walk into one and you look at the board, it's just got a list of properties. Mm. That's all they look at. I've got a list of client names. Mm. So I'm there, I look after my client. Mm. They look at a property and it's a deal. So they sign, a, they sign an authority. Their only objective is to complete that and go to the next one. Yeah. So, Do you think that's stemming from the top? Do you think that that's the old school sort of directors that are in place that are just saying make money, make money, make money rather than training people to actually care about the client? Like where yeah. do you think this is coming from? Definitely it's, <coughs> definitely it's come down through the generations. Mm. Um, and look, I think that real estate has got to a point where the people at the top make so much money, they have to keep making the money. Mm. And they put so much pressure on the younger guys to make money mm. and not even just in sales now, they put so much pressure on them to make money and getting marketing funds and all these different things <clears> that if they don't hit these figures, I mean, I know real estate agents out there that I'll say um, the marketing levy, I'll say that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Mm. Like, can they charge a marketing, real estate agents charge a marketing levy based on the value of the, of the um, amount you spend. Mm. Mm. But the person does the same job. Yeah. Mm. So, and I'm like, well, I want to spend. I, I want to pay this much for the marketing level. And then the agent say to me, "Well, that comes out of my commission." Yeah, wow. Yeah. So anything that gets taken, any <clears> the, <throat> the bosses don't give a lot away, and anything mm. that comes off, mm. they have to get less money. And so, it talk, Peter talks <laughs> about that that piece that you talk about, which is around on your purpose, focus on who you serve and how, how you serve them, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So you know what I would call Warwick's business is almost a customer customer obsessed business. You know, you look at what your customers' pain points are and you solve them. Right? Is is that sort of right for sort of looking at your business from the outside in? Business from yeah, the outside I mean, in. we always start out with a conversation. So I never go out see a client about a job as such. It's always yeah. just let's have a conversation. I never take an authority to a to a meeting. Um, like I, I just, I don't take a computer. I sit there and have a conversation with them without any material. I don't take marketing material. I sit down and have a conversation. Mm. Warwick, you mm. spoke earlier, touched on a lot about advertising and sort of getting the maximum advertising from the, their clients. We're, what we're seeing in the marketplace is a lot of sort of correlating back into the buyer's advocacy area, like where you're actually seeing a lot of stuff that actually doesn't even hit the market. Yeah, so we buy probably about 25% of what we purchase for clients is what's considered off-market. Um, yep. So there's two levels of off-market out there. So there's real off-market, so that's where we've got um, good, strong relationships with real estate agents and they say, I've got this coming up. Mm. Um, and then there's off-market where they send an email out to the whole database. <laughs> so I'm like, if you've, you might have had your whole database, how's it off-market? Mm. Um, but yeah, look, we, we've been going for so long now that We've got really good relationships with a lot of the a lot of the main guys, um, and we know what's coming up. And it does depend on the client situation, but it does make it a lot easier when somebody like what I do comes into it because it's not emotional for me. So I'll look at the property; they'll give me an off market. So with an off market, I'll either get one that's overpriced, or undervalued, or right bang on right. And they know these guys know they come to us. We know value. Yeah. We know what the value of the property is. And I tell my clients, if you want a good property, you're not going to buy it cheap. 
you have to pay market rate. It's like good lawyers, Rex. (laughs) (laughs) Pay for what you get. So with that, if they come off the property and it's what we believe is below market or at market, we'll get a deal done with them. If it's it's higher, we'll just say to the client, let's let it hit the market and and work itself out. Mm. But... Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it, there is a lot more with COVID. Do you see any transactions where the actual agent is actually removed from the process and you're dealing directly with the vendor? Like, is that something that happens in the advocacy arena? Yeah, definitely. We do. So with clients who want to buy homes, for instance, uh, we'll get a brief off them of the home, the area they want, the home they want. And we'll do letterbox drops to yeah. houses that mm. suit the criteria. Down the old-fashioned knock on the door and say, I've got someone that wants to buy your house. Yeah, and look, the difference is for us is that when a real estate agent knocks the door and says, I've got someone who wants to buy your house, but I'm going to charge you 20 grand. Mm. difference is, is I'm going to say, I'll buy your house for nothing because mm. my client's paying me. Mm. So, and that comes from mm. your work as a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, you've had yeah. a bit of experience. <laughs> That's right. No, he has. It's, it's the old school knocking on doors. Hey, let me change topics if I can and move away from Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Uh, yeah, anyway, we're I'm losing my fucking mind. No, I want to talk about something. I reckon one of the biggest things that's happened for your industry, and this may be controversial, but I don't mind a controversial comment, is the block. Uh, <laughs> I love it. You know it was coming, right? No, so a lot of people didn't know what a buyer's advocate was until we started watching The Block. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's one of the most popular shows on TV. Yeah. Um, tell me your thoughts on that. Has that been good for your industry, bad for your industry? What, what do you think? I think it's been good for the industry. Um, I mean, our company's bought three of The Block properties. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just all a bit of a show now. Um, but it always was a show. No. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, but it has been good. Um, it's got the name out there of, uh-huh. of advocates. Um, not really now. They've got ridden. They're trying to get rid of that kind of. Mm-hmm. One of the main stars did some bad things. Yeah. <laughs> so no comment from me and anything to do. This is all Warwick saying that. <laughs> um, but no, definitely anything out there that is. I mean, on TV that shows what we do is, mm. is good for the industry. What's well, raising the profile of the industry. I mean, you know, you, you've been in the industry for 21 years. You're one of the doyens of the pioneers of your industry. 21 years ago, it was He's not... also won Advocate of the Year. Well, uh, yeah, that, uh, but it, 21 years ago, Rex, it wouldn't be conceivable that you would pay somebody some money to bid at auction or to buy a house for you, right? I mean, well, I, it's not just bid at auction. My understanding is that it's the whole research no, it behind is, but, it and everything behind it. Y- correct. Like, but, it, from a person who is time poor it just saves you so much time mm. and effort mm. um, to find a perfect house because mm. it's a very time consuming thing no doubt but my point i was trying to raise and i don't want to have a fucking argument with you <laughs> but 21 years ago it was not normal today it is normal not everyone has the wealth that you have mr no. <laughs> some of us are just kids from the suburb having a go you know I what i mean now, yeah, suburb. Yeah. have a look around us this looks like the suburbs uh, so can I ask, Warwick, do all real estate agencies have a preferred advocate that they work for or that work for them? Uh, it's not agency-based. It's more so agent. Mm-hmm. So there are agents within agencies that do have better relationships with, with agents. Yeah. Um, and look, the, the, good, the good agents out there build strong relationships with buyers' agents. So why don't all agents build strong relationships with advocates? Why is this not a thing in real estate? Well, advocates typically will only build relationships with also a good agent. Yeah, okay. So when you've got an industry... I think you're saying read between the lines, Dal. (laughs) I think you're saying not all real estate agents are good. That's the impression I got. (laughs) you got a twitch. i got a head bobble going on. (laughs) At least I don't have a claw. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh dear, oh dear. It's all fun and games until we get to the oh, serious end. Yeah. You, you talk about residential and so your focus is sort of on buyer advocacy around that. Are there buyers advocates that, you know, look at commercial, um, rural, other sectors, other sort of property sectors? Definitely, I do that. Yeah. Okay. Because there, there is actually a strong movement from people actually looking at sort of regional pro- opportunities. Like the last stats that came out of REA said that one of their biggest hits was actually regional areas such as, you know, Noosa, Byron Bay, you know, regional Victoria. So, you know, moving people geographically as a buyer's agent, does that come up on your sort of plate? Yeah, look, it does. And that's a big conversation to have with people because a lot of people buy properties not understanding what is entailed with buying a property with acreage, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that's where, and I, I, I have a, an acreage property, so I've got a lot of experience in that regard. And that's where we kind of sit down and say, okay, this is what it's going to look like for you. And, and does that suit you or do you need to go somewhere else? But buying um, acreage, there is, there's a lot to it. Um, and commercial, they're yeah. all completely different. They're all completely different things. There are specific uh, agents that advocates that do commercial. There's no one that really specifically does rural. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's a, the biggest thing if you're going to look at doing those things is, is make sure that the people that you're dealing with have done plenty of in that space. How, how do you vet, how, how do you vet a buyer's agent? Like, you know, how do you actually check that they actually know what they're talking about? You know, is it runs on the boards? You know, in, in the agent world, we have lots of crowd sort of advocate sort of ratings like, you know, rate my agent and things like that. In a buyer's advocacy area, how do you actually check someone's cred if, if they're not going to use very, you? It's very hard. Um, you've got to essentially look at what they've purchased. So looking at kind of over the time frame, how long have they been doing it? Have they purchased before? Um, what is their industry experience? And what you'll find is a lot of people at the moment a lot of advocates out there, especially with COVID, have come out trying to do advocacy because the sales industry has dropped off. Mm. So these are salespeople. Um, and I'm not a, yeah. I, I feel my time, I did start off selling real estate. Um, but if, you, if you're getting out of selling real estate because of the money's not good in getting an advocacy, mm. I don't think it's the right way to no. do it. Um, the best advocates I know weren't even in real estate beforehand. And the ones, I've got some great ones that I've trained up from scratch and they're, Sensational, um, and they're not blurred by different ways of thinking. But it's like it's like an industry, it's like any profession. The best way to find out a good advisor, whether it's a buyer's advocate, whether it's a gun recruiter, whether it's a lawyer, or whether it's an accountant, the best way to find out is get a referral mm. and ask for somebody who's had that experience. You yeah. Know? And you know, I I know that you know when I have conversations about you, Rex, and they'll say to me, Jason, who's your lawyer? I say, use Rex. They don't research you. They don't do anything. They know that from personal experience. Mm. I've dealt with you. You know, likewise with the work that I've done with Titanium or Wolf, and we love Wolf, Wolf <laughs> Recruitment, and the work that I've done with you guys, it's because of the relationship was referred by Rex. Mm. And so Rex said to me, hey, Jay, because I only thought you recruited in in, in, in real estate. incredibly ancestral. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, Chanel and I are first cousins, by the way. <laughs> uh, you can tell by our skin tone. Uh, uh, so uh, what I'm keen to know about Warwick is about the growth of your business. And one of the challenges that Pete and I, when we work with clients, is that difference between being self-employed and being a business owner. And you know, when I look at the skill set that you bring to the table, 
Mm. I said this earlier in an earlier episode that we we that we filmed, and some would say life changing episode. To be honest with you, um, was it? You know, I want the butcher, not the block. Now, how, how do you go growing a team in your business when you know a lot of the knowledge is is up here with you? Yeah. So typically, I start with the client, and I work out exactly what we're, which way we're going. Mm. Then I have a different team member do the researching part. Ah, oh, yeah, cool. Oh. So and go through, they go through the properties and, and they deal with the client over that and mm. they kind of nut down to exactly what they want. Then when it comes to finding the right property, then they do all of the reporting and then it comes to me and I kind of look at it and I'll kind of go over that and say, and I'll go have a look at the property. Mm. And I'll say either, yeah, let's continue or no, I don't want it for this reason. Do you present like in the financial planning world, uh, we have what's called a statement of advice. So do you present some sort of advice, a written document? Yeah. Yeah. So we prevent, we show them, we have a written document which values the property, um, shows the growth patterns for the property. Um, and we kind of step them through uh, with the value because mm. as I said, with the agents quoting, it's sometimes quite different. Mm. So we have we kind of go okay well this is the the agent's giving you these comps which aren't actually comps mm. here are the real comps and this is the value and mm. it's about having them understand that mm -hmm. uh, but yeah we give them the documentation um, and then, then we sign off so we sign off on a value to purchase a property prior to an auction yeah. or anything else and we don't go over that so yeah. the conversation is okay at what point would you walk away from the property mm. while you're not emotionally charged yeah. So that's a written document signed off by them and then we stop negotiating at that point. And do you have times where you attend the auction and the client doesn't even come with you? They hardly come. Yeah. The, 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 find, the thing I've, actually I was saying this to somebody, the thing I find amazing is the amount of clients of mine in Melbourne who make me their power of attorney because they want to go out for breakfast instead of going on auction <laughs> and I have to sign all the documentation for them yeah. and I'm their power of attorney. What's, what, what is the biggest challenge in the advocacy industry? It sounds like it's you've got something, this, this incredible business in place that runs seamlessly. What are the challenges that you face? Uh, the challenge is stock. Okay. Good stock. So having enough properties to buy and the biggest challenge in our industry is I do all this work, I find the perfect property for a client, I go to buy it, I miss out. Mm. And I'm Can starting again. Back, your team, how do you grow a team that the size of your team in advocacy? Because advocacy is such a unique skill. And are they ex-agents? Is the team ex-agents as well? Yeah. Uh, I don't have any. Oh, actually, I've got one ex-agent. Okay. So, um, But they'll be still agents' representatives. So they're all agents' representatives. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the way that I typically, my model for growing it is you have more senior people that kind of do them. But where do you recruit them from? How do you... I just recruit from, I don't recruit through, well, there's not really recruiters that do it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just meeting people. So we've recruited, I've recruited people from an auction. I've seen someone bid at an auction and I thought that they're really good. And I've kind of gone and had a chat to them and said, you, th you thought about doing this and they've come and worked. Are they, if you don't <coughs> mind me asking, if it's not a personal question, are they commission only? How does the sort of remuneration work as a buyer's agent? So typically for us, our, uh, our, our top, Guys are commission only because mm -hmm. you get paid more. Uh, but typically, the research people they're on a wage. Okay. Plus small comms for um, when when we can transact. Yeah, got you. So if I've got an agent Warwick and I do have a lot that want to transition out of sales, and it might be that they're finding that the industry is smoky mirrors, they're sick of the tirade of it, or, or whatever it may be. What are the steps for them to become a buyer's agent? What what, what would you advise someone <laughs> who's in real estate sales at the moment, wanting to step into the buyer's advocacy industry? Um, my advice is that they need to be able to wait until the, they're, you can get a job somewhere, 
but you're not going to be a gun. So you can go to sales and be a gun straight away if mm. you're good. You can't in advocacy. So you need to be able to wait the time frame to learn enough, and it takes a minimum of a year to learn enough to be able to kind of talk to clients confidently. Mm. Mm. So you need to be able to take a step back and learn and wait until you're good enough. And that's where we see a lot of people, and I've had a lot of people come work for me that have left within a year because they're like, I want to make more money, I want to make more money. And I'm like, well, you're not, you can't. Mm. So, yeah. um, so if it's about money, don't get into it's the industry. Not if you, if you want, if it's about, if you, if you get, if you like looking after people, and if you like getting the joy from transacting and having that connection mm. with a person, <clears throat> then and you want to take the time um, to learn your industry and learn your craft, then it's a great industry to be in. Yeah. If you want to churn and burn. Not for you. Well, email your resume, Chanel Titanium Recruitment. <laughs> My next client on Monday, just FYI. Can I ask, sorry, one last no, question. No, 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 I'm just busy you, emailing you with my resume. <laughs> have you ever royally just fucked it up? Ooh, like, oh. advise someone of a property and that area just has had no growth and they've called you and thrown fruit at you yeah. and, you know, <laughs> lost it? Have you ever done it just... This is a cunt to Jesus moment, Brooksy. <laughs> yeah. Look... One of the, I'll tell you an area, one thing I did fuck up. Good boy. <coughs> long time ago. A long time know. ago. <laughs> a long time ago. I was telling people that buying out kind of Ringwood Rich, Mitcham Way wasn't a great idea. Um, and then the Asian market came. Ah. And they're gone now, but they did push the prices up a lot. Yeah. And some of the clients that I did buy for kind of, and the properties I bought for them performed well, but they did say to me, I'd say about buying out there and it has performed exceptionally well. But that was a little bit of a... Did they throw fruit at you? No, I did, I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't my mistake, but I did have one person once um, fuck up at an auction and bid $10,000 over their limit, Ooh. which cost me $10,000. So you yeah. have to pay for it. If they, you go over their budget, your business has to cover the cost. Well, we did cover the cost, yeah. Wow. I don't think they have to, but... You don't you have just to. Did. You did the right we thing. We did cover yeah. the cost. Yeah, right. Fascinating. Oh yeah, Petey Boy. Warwick, there's a lot of businesses that have built property management only businesses and they're looking for where their next step is in in their sort of career path or you know their business's growth. They automatically go to sales, but in your opinion, having come from sales and now a buyer's advocate, if you were talking to a property management business, would you consider them as a buyer's agent having more you know, that caring nature would be where they should go rather than sales? That's, that's a, that is a definitely a good step. It's a hard one without someone with experience, but a very easy step for a property management company, and I've dealt with quite a few of them and helped them out. Is, do you know any intimately? I do, actually. <laughs> um, vendor advocacy is an easy step for a property management company to not set up a sales team and, well, and should, make good I mean, money. I don't think that would make sense. If I was a purely a property management business, my clients are eventually going to sell their properties at some stage. Definitely. So why wouldn't I have a vendor vendor? There's a couple of big words for accountants in this trouble here. <laughs> a vendor ag- advocacy part of my business because I'm servicing my customer, right? It bolts straight on and it's such an easy, um, it's an easy setup. And mm. I've, I've actually done the numbers. It's you make more profit off a vendor advocacy model than if you start your own sales model mm. with the amount of back end a sales model requires, um, you actually make more dollars per Mm. hour of vendor advocacy. And there's something to be said about... (laughs) My ex-wife might do that. 
I did. There you go. And now all these real estate agents out there are going to go become... All about (laughs) 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 Uh, But there's something to be said about sticking to your knitting as well. Um, You know, uh, and so if the sales agent is good at selling property and you're good at managing property and managing the relationship with the customer, then I think it's a natural progression to have that vendor advocacy to refer to the right selling Mm. agent so that your customer can get looked after. Yeah, definitely. And Pete, you say this to you blue in the face. Um, and sometimes I have seen you blue in the face like a little smurf, <laughs> like a papa smurf with the beard there. Uh, but, you know, there's something to be said about not focusing on the dollar, but focusing on the customer. And if you, if you put your arms around the client and you look after the customer with their, their intention, you know, customer's uh, first intention uh, at, at, in mind, then usually things work out for the best for you. Jason's alluded a lot, a lot in this about being hugged and wanting someone's arms around him. I, I feel like I he, needs, makes he, needs a, <laughs> he needs a hug. I do. I, <laughs> I was going to hug you, but some of that fake tan may rub off on me. I mean that, sorry, I mean that natural skin colour. <laughs> Nothing's been more natural. Teeth haven't looked whiter in a long time, Chanel. Oh, it's your birthday soon. <laughs> so... Yes, Pete, I, I, before we finish up, I just, I've got one more question yeah. and then we go to what we refer to as the infamous Pete's cheat sheet. Um, and some of them have been somewhat untoward, to be honest. No, <laughs> um, where's the next step, Brooksy, for your business? Where are you taking it in the next three to five years? I, I, I know that you know not everyone in your family is big on planning, but where do you see the next step <laughs> for your business? So from our perspective, we're going to get uh, invest a lot more in the analytics of um, what's going on in the marketplace. Mm. So you don't have any real source of information in real estate that's consistent. No. So you've got all this information collected from all these different areas, yeah. which nobody talks to each other, mm. and it's, it's, it's a bit kind of hit and miss. Mm. So we're investing in trying to bring that information together into one. Well, you're building your own platform. We are. Wow, good luck with that. Yeah. I've heard it's nice and easy to build software. No challenges at all. I mean, I, look, I, working as an accountant, as an advisor, we're talking to people all the time about their portfolio, whether it be a property or whether it be a share portfolio or otherwise. And one of the, there's so many similarities between the share market and the property market, but one of the big differences is that the share market has a thing called the Australian Stock Exchange. Right? And so all the data is fed through the stock exchange and stocks are sold every second, every minute, every hour, every day. And pro- property might be sold once every 30 years. And so we don't have a property exchange per se. And that's why the information and the data, and that's where you can do trend analysis and technical analysis and fundamental analysis when it comes to the stock exchange. You can't do technical analysis when it comes but to the property. The advantage mate. of having an advocate is that you have a, a professional on your side. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but, but what he does is he brings the fundamental piece, Rex. He As brings well. the, he, the fundamental analysis of and analyzing a stock, talks about uh, the performance of the business and, and the type of company it is. Likewise with property, it talks about the suburb, the area, the schools that are popping up, the yield that you can get from it. But you can't get that trend analysis, that tech, technical analysis, because all the data's not there. But this place is going to tip all his money into building a software company and hey, provide it for all of us. Yes, Petey. <coughs> Warwick, Warwick, in one of your videos that I watched, you talk about uh, tier one, tier two, and tier three property. Obviously, tier one being the best. Can you just quickly, before we finish up, just tell us what a tier one property sounds like? So your tier one is your eight to 10 out of 10 type of property. So it's in a, let's say it's a home. It's in a, it's in a good street. So there's no cuts, no kind of yeah. cut throughs. Um, it's, 
it faces the right directions, so it, the sun all works on the right and right aspects. The floor plan works, so the floor plan flows. So everything, it's kind of got everything works, and there's nothing that can go that somebody can kind of have an issue with. Mm. Um, so and then it's in an area where the land values. So we all everything's worked off land. So land values. So, Land appreciates, building depreciates. That's the kind of thing say in real estate. So we look at, okay, what are the, how does that land in that area? How's that kind of rating from a growth perspective? So we kind of go, okay, so that's your top tier. Everything fits. Your second tier is your properties that, uh, and look, they're the most expensive. Your second tier are the properties that are in those cut through streets. So it might be, uh, it's not a main road, but it gets a lot of passing traffic. Um, it might not be facing the right directions from the sun. So you, you might have um, south of the back, for instance, mm. um, and the floor plan might be a bit choppy, so it doesn't work. Uh, and then you've kind of got your bottom tier, which is your main road, kind of sitting on a main road. Um, Next to a prison. Blocks of flats <laughs> in the city. Um, anything built in the last, five years kind of not built well, yeah. bad construction, which is 99.9% .9 of what's been built in the last five years. Yeah. Um, Someone's a little bit jaded. <laughs> so, so, from that perspective, <laughs> so from that perspective, I mean, if you look at apartments, you can kind of look at, okay, what an apartment built in the 1950s versus the apartment built in uh, 2020, 70 years, we've gone backwards a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's about kind of understanding I, from that, I mean, in real estate, the older the the property, the more top tier it is. Mm. So mm. the the most expensive apartments are Art Deco. The second mm. most expensive are fifties. Mm. Um, so love yeah. Those Art Deco. So this yeah. is where this is where it is. And the newer stuff is just doesn't work. Leaks does everything. Before we do Pete's cheat sheet, oh, sorry, James. No, no. We always have to have no. doing this. Before we do Pete's cheat sheet, do you have a red hot tip for any Melbourne investors? Did any you say tip. Tip. Yes, okay. Red hot tip. Just checking. Oh. <laughs> As opposed to... No, I was just checking. Look where his mind goes. <laughs> uh, for any Melbourne investors, anything that they, you know, is some secret knowledge that we could pass on to our viewers and then we'll charge them $5.99 a month subscription fee to watch the show. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, I tell you, the, the, the post-COVID world in investment is going to be very different. Um, Apartments and so forth, I wouldn't be buying. And the inner city? Inner city, no. Apartments, yeah. no. Um, Stuff the portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> I would not even bother going to or looking at anything that does not have an outdoor space. Uh, outdoor space is the big thing now. So if you don't have an outdoor space, don't even look at it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say that the, the, the trend is going to be more going to that kind of 15 to 30k rim of Melbourne houses. Do you think the inner city real estate agencies might suffer? Do you think there might be a bit of an exodus of the industry? It might clean out some. We had, we've had a lot clean out. Yeah. Um, I think the, the amount of stock being sold is going to stay low for a long time. Mm. So there's going to be a lot less commissions out there for people. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, people are just not going to be changing for a little while. Mm. So on that uh, sombre note, um, <laughs> Pete, uh, <laughs> you're in Brisbane, I guess. You look magnificent. You're 50 years old. You look 32. Pete, bring us back with the Pete's uh, cheat sheet if you can. Thanks so much, Jason. So for this episode, what we've created is an infographic that details six benefits of using a buyer's agent. It can be downloaded off realestaterenovators.com.au.
Back to you, Jase. That's awesome, Pete. Well done, Pete. Well done, Pete. <laughs> All right, Brooksy, thanks for being part of the show. You've been outstanding. Nothing short. It was great for Chanel to get some free advice from you. <laughs> and, and until next week, see you then. 